David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 366, the final David's Daily Digital Dollop, entitled Around the Dollops in 80 Days. Oh, no. <laughs> Around the Dollops in 80 Minutes. Oh, there's one for the bloopers, the outtakes, eh? I'll have to remember to put that on the uh, the the, uh, the Christmas dollop. Oh, hang on a minute, that's been and gone. I'll put it on the end of the last dollop, and there'll be a good outtakes. So, oh, this is the last dollop. Well, I'll just keep it in then, it's fine. That's an outtake there that I've kept in. Around the Dollops in 80 Minutes is what I meant to say because over the next 80 minutes we will be listening to some of what I consider to be highlights of David's Daily Digital Dollop. On the 1st of January 2016 I embarked on a challenge to release a blog which I entitled a dollop every single day. And I'm going to play some of my highlights, the things that stood out for me. Yes, I've done it from Canada, I've done it from Australia, I've done it from Belgium and Portugal, we've done it from all sorts of nooks and crannies, cupboards, toilets, you know when I've been away on tour and I'm just trying to find a space I can record in the amount of toilets that we've dolloped from. I'd say over 5% of dollops we've done from toilets. I did a dollop from the Royal Albert Hall, sitting cross-legged on the stairs at the Royal Albert Hall, just before the Fork Awards. In Canada, we dolloped from a bumper boat, getting sprayed by children with water pistols. We've dolloped from a hot tub. We've dolloped from a horse. We've dolloped from numerous pubs and restaurants. All sorts of outdoor locations, loads of walks through rural Sheffield and Suffolk. We've talked to the people at Spring Watch when we went on the Spring Watch show. We did a dollop with them. I've dolloped from the Co-op and Sainsbury's. My goodness, I've taken you to some places. I've dolloped in the bath. And of course, I've dolloped from the kitchen. And that's where our first clip comes from. As you join me at the kitchen sink, these dollops have everything, including the kitchen sink. Clip number one. David's Daily Digital Dollar. David's Daily Digital Dollar. David's Daily Digital Dollar. I'm in the kitchen, doing the dishes. Oh, bloody hell. I tell you. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, a bit more drama, ladies and gentlemen. A bit more drama. For some reason, the dirty pan, Ben has filled it with water, presumably to rinse it out. It had mashed potato in it, so presumably it was to stop the mashed potato sticking. But then he didn't, hasn't pulled the water out. And I only have one bit of washing up liquid. So what I tried to do is I didn't want to have to tip the water out of the, of the bowl, the washing up bowl, because then I'd run out of washing up liquid. So I needed to try and tip the pan, the water from the pan, the cold water, out the, down the back of the sink. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. It was too heavy, and my wrist shook. There wasn't enough of a gap between the bowl and the sink, and I ended up pouring some of it over the floor. Some of it's gone into the water, so now the water's really dirty. I've soaked my foot. I mean, I know what you're thinking. It all happened so fast, David. We didn't get a chance to really... Well, should we do a bit of an action replay? Do you think we can hear that again? I'll I'll do it in slow motion, so now you can hear how it sounded, and you can uh, understand it a little bit better here. So here is uh, an action replay in slow motion. I lift up the pan. I'm trying to make a decision of where to pour it. I realise there's no gap at the back. I realise there's no gap at the front. I try and move the bowl. But as I move the bowl, my hand shakes because the pan is so heavy. Bang! That's the sound. It's sloshing in the bowl there. Dirtying the water, mashed potato and water in the sink, no washing up liquid left. What am I going to do? And then, to add it further insult to injury, this bit here. Pour it all over my foot. Bloody hell. 
by soaking the floor and tarnishing the water. Now, my sock is absolutely soaking. Now, an appliance that you often find in kitchens, of course, is the kettle. And it wouldn't be a David Steely Digital Dollop highlights package if we didn't include mention of my kettle. Kettles is very much a subject that we returned to time and time again on David Steely Digital Dollop. Ubiquitous, revisited subject throughout the dollops. But this is where it all began. David Steely Digital in other news, we have a new kettle. Normally, I wouldn't bother to tell you about the purchase of fairly standard domestic appliances, but this kettle is a special kettle. It is a kettle that you can control by your phone, tablet, or Apple Watch. The app has a bland, uninspiring name, so much so that I can't actually remember what it is. But I think they're missing a trick by not calling the app Polly. It could also be voice activated, so when you wanted to use the kettle, you merely had to say, Polly, put the kettle on, and the app would oblige. And we'd all laugh, wouldn't we? You don't just get tea, but you get humour as well. Hilarity. That's what it would be. <laughs> I also had an idea for the Apple Watch version of the app. When the app loads up, it should show the words, An Apple Watched Kettle Always Boils. Sadly, this wouldn't work for the phone or for the tablet version. However, if the phone and the tablet app are anything to go by, then this particular statement would be incorrect anyway, as in actuality, the kettle only seems to boil one in every 30 attempts, by which point you might as well have just crossed the room and turned the bloody thing on. I think this is a case of technology going one step too far, adding a needless level of complexity to the more straightforward of tasks. My two housemates, Ben and Elsa, have spent about a day trying to work this thing. Firstly, you need to make sure that there is actually water in the kettle. This means that you have to remember to fill the kettle back up as soon as you've made your tea. Otherwise, you won't be able to use the kettle app because we haven't yet reached the technological age that means that the kettle can turn on the tap and fill itself. I would argue that this, rather than simplifying the tea-making process, complicates it because you're going to have to train yourself to remember to fill the kettle back up after you've made the tea. And who is honestly going to remember that? You know for a fact that you're going to forget so that the next time you want tea, you'll need to go into the kitchen and fill the kettle before you can use the app, which would then be stupid because you're literally standing at the kettle, so why not just press the button on the actual kettle? Of course, you could, I suppose, fill the kettle to the brim, so that would maximise the number of boils that you could get before you needed to fill it back up. But this adds a whole new range of problems. Firstly, this is far from environmentally friendly, nor is it particularly energy efficient. This kettle has the potential to double your electricity bills, not to mention the extra power being used to keep the kettle's inbuilt Wi-Fi receiver running 24 hours a day. I mean, of course, you could turn the kettle's Wi-Fi connectivity off, but then you'd have to keep going back to the kettle every time you wanted to use the app just so that you could turn the Wi-Fi back on, which, again, would defeat the whole purpose of having an app, because you're right by the kettle. Also, having the kettle filled right to the top would mean that it would take much longer to boil than it ordinarily would. It would be a massive waste of time and energy, especially if you were just making one cup of tea. You'd have to boil an entire kettle's worth of water. So far, we have been able to boil the kettle from the dining room, which is about 10 metres away from the kitchen where the kettle is housed. We did try boiling it from my bedroom, but uh, we got an error message to telling us that the kettle was not in range. 
range. <laughs> Surely that is the whole point. If the kettle is in range, then I'd just press the bloody button on the kettle and boil it the old-fashioned way, wouldn't I? But this is 2016, and apparently that way just isn't cutting it anymore. Eventually, we got it working again. Uh, the app advised us to go to the base of the kettle and reset the Wi-Fi receiver. We were then able to go back up the stairs and boil the kettle from my bedroom. But then we had to go down the stairs again to make the tea. This is the most ludicrous and pointless invention. It's only a matter of time before it breaks again. I don't think I'll be using the app part of the kettle. I am happy with the traditional way of operating kettles. Plus, with all the stress that using the app would cause, I have the feeling that if I kept using it, the only thing that's going to be steaming is me. Because the kettle certainly won't be. Oh, thank you. But David's Daily Digital Dollop isn't all about listening to me dropping pans in slow motion and talking about Wi-Fi-enabled kettles. No, we aren't afraid to address the big issues. Religion. I am also a non-believer, but I haven't approached my non-belief in God with anywhere near as much vociferousness as Dawkins has. I'd be damned to hell making no fuss whatsoever if God would grant me just one wish before I go, which would be to see the moment that Dawkins discovers that he was wrong all this time and that there is a god after all, who is standing over him on the day of judgment, laughing uncontrollably. Except, obviously, he would technically be able to control the laughter, because he's all-powerful. But there's no need to be pedantic. Oh, we've been so looking forward to this moment, haven't we, Peter? How many times, Jesus? It's Simon. <laughs> Whatever, Peter. And how many times, Peter? It's Yeshua. We all exist, Richard. Me, my dad, aka God, my mother, you know, the Virgin Mary, is still a virgin after all these years. Although, of course, Jeremy Kyle tried to do a lie detector and DNA test when he got to the pearly gates. <laughs> Needless to say, we damned him straight to hell. I bet you feel like a bit of a dick now, don't you? Uh, that's a joke, Richard, because dick is short for Richard. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeshua has a sense of humour, you know. I think I get it from my dad. Oh, he loves a good joke. Well, take the Old Testament. Absolutely hilarious. Oh, we still have a good laugh from time to time at the poor sods down there trying to make sense of it. Although some people do spoil the joke slightly by killing people because of it. But how was I to know? Believing in you and your dad would have been completely irrational. Irrational? Richard, it's not like we didn't leave you clues. Remember that slice of toast, Richard? The what? That slice of toast in February 2011. We manifested an impression of my mother, the Virgin Mary, in the bread. <laughs> you took one look at it, made some snide comment about it being a coincidence, and ate it. We don't leave toast clues for everyone, you know. Now, especially for you, Richard. Some people don't get any visions in their toast, yet they still believe. Happy are those who have not seen the face of a virgin in their breakfast, yet still believe. David's Daily Digital Dollop. The Ten Commandments, which which Moses wrote on God's behalf on tablets, by which I mean tablets of stone rather than iPads, which would have been a lot more impressive and have helped convert a lot more people. I am the God of Kindle Fire, and I bring you the Ten Commandments. Oh, and I've also installed the Angry Birds game for you too, for I am a benevolent God. Oh, and don't worry about the killing. I know that I said thou shalt not kill, but that doesn't include virtual fictitious birds killing virtual fictitious pigs. However, if I catch any of you coveting any virtual fictitious oxen, then I'll smite you down. For as well as being a benevolent God, I am also a weird and confused God. Apparently, in order to signify God's Ten Commandments being 
delivered. God brought about a series of earthquakes, sent plumes of smoke into the sky, and gave a blast on a trumpet, which seems like a lot of hard work for very little reward. How are people meant to know what the earthquakes, smoke, and trumpeting is all about? And what the heck was the point in a trumpet? Most people would be too busy running away from the fire and the falling rocks to stop and listen to a trumpet solo, even if it is a trumpet solo from the Almighty. Far better for God to have had the foresight to introduce social networking to the planet a few thousand years earlier, which would have also made the tablets a lot more useful. It also seems a bit rich and stupid to set things ablaze and cause deathly earthquakes as the precursor to instructing people that they shouldn't kill. I think that God could have done with attending a leadership course. Okay, guys, so uh, we're looking at effective leadership and how best to get your message across to people and make them want to follow you. So, come on, guys, stick your ideas key in the engine of potential. Start the ignition of innovation as we fly this aeroplane of success into blue sky thinking. So, come on, guys, what do we think? Ideas. Ah, it's God. What have you got to say, God? Stop taking my name in vain. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying your name. So, what's your thoughts? If you want to get your message across, I find the best way is to precede your message with a series of earthquakes, a generous helping of smoke, and a little bit of a blast on the old trumpet. Well, that's uh, certainly a novel approach, God. Stop taking my name in vain. I'm not. I'm just saying your name. You're saying it far too casually, suggesting a level of vainness. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgive you, for I am a forgiving God. Oh, good. Well, interesting suggestions, but I was thinking more along the lines of having a solid social networking presence. Are you on Twitter or Facebook, God? I am omnipresent, and so I am within all Twitter and Facebook accounts. Well, th that's as may be, but do you have a Facebook or Twitter account of your own, God? No, I, I prefer to communicate through the medium of stone. Stone? You mean you don't have a social network presence at all? Well, no. Never saw the point in it myself when there's plenty of stone around. And I've got the old trusty trumpet, of course. Oh, actually, no, 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 Mary did get me set up on Bebo. Oh, good God. Right, let's take a break. You definitely took my name in vain that time. David's Daily Digital Dollar. The first concert that I ever went to. I was brought up a Catholic, and the church youth group organised a trip to see a Christian rock concert. I was about ten year old, I think. But even so, I found the whole experience unsettling and cringe. Worthy. The concert was horrendous. The most middle-of-the-road, uninteresting, uninspiring drivel that I'd ever heard. I don't remember any of the songs, obviously, but they were essentially three chords all the way through, electric guitar, bass, a keyboard playing an uninspiring string pad, and very simplistic drum accompaniment, while the frontman sang things like, Jesus is great. Yeah, 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 Jesus is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And got everyone in the audience to join in and clap along. In fact, three quarters of every song seemed to be him getting the audience to join in with the mind-numbingly repetitious hook while clapping along. There was nothing of interest or substance at all. Towards the end of the concert, the frontman shouted to the audience, OK, are we ready to show Jesus that we love him tonight? There was a loud, enthusiastic, Yeah! from the audience. Okay, everyone, stand up. Come on, stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Let's show Jesus just how much we love him tonight. 
I was confused by the logic of this idea. Did the man really think that Jesus would be watching and would be thrilled that some people in a concert hall in Newcastle were standing up for him? Bearing in mind that Jesus' father is all-knowing, surely his dad already knew if he loved his son and could easily pass the knowledge on to his son if he thought he'd be interested. So I think the act of standing up is a bit redundant, really. But I might be wrong. Maybe God and Jesus were up there in heaven looking down and were getting all excited by what was happening. Oh, come over here, Jesus. There's a few hundred people in Newcastle who are standing up to show their love for us. Oh, great. Tell me more, Father. Who have we got? Well, well, um, let's have a look. There's, there's Brian Jackson, you know, the welder from Sunderland. He's just stood up. Good old Brian. Yeah, he's a pretty solid candidate for heaven, I think, Dad. John Taylor, you know, the uh, the baker from Billingham. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's just stood up. Ah, Cliff Bailey, the landlord from Darlington. Ah, so old Cliff has finally come around to believing in us, has he? Interesting. Well, he's got a lot of catching up to do if he's going to get into heaven after the whole adultery episode. Not to mention that time that I caught him coveting his neighbour's oxen. And you know that's one of my pet hates, Jesus. The old ox coveting. I'll be reminding him about that when he gets to the gates. I very much doubt that Jesus or God are in the least bit bothered whether a few hundred people stand up in a middle-of-the-road Christian rock concert in Newcastle to clap, swear and sing Jesus, we love you Yeah, 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 yeah Jesus, we love you Yeah, 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 yeah Over and over again Of course I stood up I mean, everyone else around me was standing up So I just stood up and half-heartedly swayed and clapped after another 30 repeats of the Jesus, we love you Yeah, 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 yeah Hook, the front man once again addressed the audience Okay, okay There are a small handful of people in this hall tonight It's a small handful of people who are not standing up No, 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 don't look round We know we don't want to embarrass them But I want to repeat my invitation to stand up Come on Join us, stand up, and show the Lord Jesus that you love him. Come on, stand up for Jesus, stand up for Jesus. He then recommenced his singing. Jesus, we love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, we love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Over and over again. And the audience all joined in, whilst no doubt trying to subtly turn their heads to take a peek at the remaining few people who hadn't stood up. After another minute of, Jesus, we love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. The front man's voice came again. Bless you, my friends. Bless you for choosing to stand up and show the Lord Jesus that you love him. But there are still three people in the hall tonight. And please don't look round. We don't want to embarrass them. But I want to extend my invitation to them one more time. Come on, join us. Please stand up and show the Lord Jesus that you love him tonight. Come on, stand up for Jesus. Let's encourage them, everyone. Come on, clap your hands. Raise your voices and let's sing together. Hmm. Stand up for Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Stand up for Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. A minute or so later, the front man shouted to the audience that there were now only two people who wouldn't stand up to show the Lord Jesus that they loved him. After another two minutes of this weird and pointless hectoring, the two remaining people stood up. The front man was triumphant, and the audience whooped and cheered this apparent victory, and everyone sang over and over again with even more vigour. Jesus, we love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Over and over again. My dad also thought this was a bit much, and fortunately, he 
he never took me to another Christian rock concert. David's Daily Digital Dollop. There was a bit when I was walking through Manchester and we were walking past somewhere. There were people shouting, get your tickets here, get your tickets here. And someone else shouting, get your T-shirts here before you go in, but get your T-shirts. And I thought, I wonder what this is. You know, I wonder, we must be passing a theatre or something. And then my sat-nav suddenly alerted me to the fact that there was a Christian Science Centre right next to me. I assume that the Christian Science Centre wasn't the thing that people were going into. But I might be wrong, because it didn't announce that there was any theatre or anything next to me. There was a lot of, lot of people queued up. You'd have thought there was a theatre that it would announce that first. It wouldn't go for the Christian Science Centre. I'm not sure why they were selling tickets or T-shirts the Christian Science Centre, if it was them. I don't know what the T-shirts would say. I went to the Christian Science Centre hoping to get a miraculous cure for my cancer, but all I got was this lousy T-shirt. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Anyway, from religion we move to football. Despite having lived in the same house in Sheffield since April 2015, today was the first time that I heard the shouts and the chants from the stadium carried on the wind. I couldn't make out the individual chants, but it got me wondering what Sheffield Wednesday fans do chant. Football clubs with United in the title will often shout, United! United! This works well as a chant, as the word United is a strong word, a unifying word, a word that represents collective strength, singing with one voice, which is what these fans are doing. But shouting, Wednesday! Wednesday! doesn't really have the same gravitas. You're essentially just shouting out a day of the week, and not even one of the good ones. I've just googled Sheffield Wednesday chants, and it turns out that they actually do just shout Wednesday very enthusiastically. They also do a version of Hey Jude, only instead of singing na 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 Hey Jude! They've cleverly altered the lyrics to be Na 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 Wednesday! You see what they did there? I wonder how these chants become accepted and part of the fans' collective repertoire. Presumably, there must be times when someone tries out a chant, starts singing, optimistically hoping that it will catch on, but then it just completely falls flat and fails to get anyone else joining in, and it just embarrassingly fizzles out, leaving the poor person who tried to instigate it feeling a bit awkward. We are the Wednesday, my friends. We'll keep on fighting to the end. We are the Wednesday, we are the Wednesday, no time for losers, cause we are the... Come on guys, no? Oh, okay. Um, if you came to Sheffield having no idea about Sheffield Wednesday, you'd be rather freaked out to suddenly hear loads of voices on the wind all shouting, Wednesday, 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 especially if it wasn't Wednesday, although it would still be really weird even if it was. You'd also be pretty weirded out when you heard some of the other classics that they sing, such as, Shoes off! If you love Wednesday, shoes off! If you love Wednesday, why? Since when has anyone expressed their liking for something by taking off their shoes? Is this a recognised denotation of appreciation that I've somehow not picked up on in the 31 years that I've been alive? I remember once chatting to quite a nice girl, and at one point in the conversation, she mentioned that her feet were aching, apologised and said that she'd have to take off her shoes, which she did. Maybe this was just an excuse, and I missed an obvious sign, and really we should be married with children now. Sheffield Wednesday sings some crazy shit. For instance, Humpty Dumpty sang to the tune of 90s pop song No Limit by Two Unlimited. Humpty, 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 Humpty. 
There's a song called You'll Never Lick the Beaver. Another one called Mrs. Hall's Toffee Rolls. And a song which rather aptly goes, We're Wednesday, we're balmy, too right you bloody are. There's also a chant that goes, Stand up! If you hate the police, the story behind this relates to the fact that the police covered You'll Never Lick a Beaver on one of their B-sides, and they never paid royalties or gave credit to the Sheffield Wednesday fans. The Sheffield Wednesday fans have been furious with Sting and his cronies ever since. Hey, 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 guys, I've got another idea for a chant. I think this one's really going to capture the hearts and minds. How many times, mate? Your chants are shit. Oh, I thought We Are The Wednesday, my friends, was actually pretty good. No, it wasn't. It was shit. Now piss off. No, hang on, hang on. Let me just try this one out on you. It's Madonna's Holiday. Yeah, holiday. Only I thought we could change the word holiday for Wednesday. You see? So it would go, Wednesday! Celebrate! Wednesday! Celebrate! Seriously, mate, it's shit. Now piss off! Right, lads, now that that idiot's gone, how about singing this one? Let me know what you think. I've just made it up. It's called Mrs. Hall's Toffee Rolls. Oh, brilliant. I like it already, mate. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. I can imagine this one spreading round the stadium like wildfire. So it goes like this. Mrs. Hall's Toffee Rolls are the best. Mrs. Hall's Toffee Rolls are the greatest. She takes strawberry milk from the breast. And her husband does the rest. These are the actual lyrics to Mrs. Hall's Toffee Rolls, by the way. I'm not just making them up. Oh, my God, mate. You've done it again. That's fantastic. That's even better than you'll never lick the beaver. And that's saying something. Oh, we'll all be singing this one for years. You're a musical genius, mate. Although you want to get that one copyrighted before that bastard sting rips you off again. It's David City Digital Dollop. It's David City Digital Dollop. I was in Sheffield City Centre this weekend. There was delays on the trams due to some rioting football fans. Or probably more aptly, rioting, rioting fans. Since the football was probably just a superfluous precursor to the main event. The reason for the fights soon became clear. Sheffield Wednesday were playing Leeds United. And naturally there is a huge tribal divide that exists between these two places. After all, the two cultures are so vastly different. Which probably has something to do with the fact that the two cities are so far away from each other. It's inevitable that there will be culture clashes. Sheffield and Leeds are about 30 miles apart, for God's sake. Their two worlds are just so different. They cannot comprehend each other's world. Sheffield, steel. Leeds, wool. Little wonder that these two disparate tribes clashed on Saturday. Leeds with its four universities compared to Sheffield's paltry two. These proud Sheffield men have never really recovered from this unjust imbalance. It was only a matter of time before war broke out. Then, to add insult to injury, the Global and World Cities Research Network ranked Leeds as a gamma world city. And the men of Sheffield were livid. They declared war on Leeds immediately and also sent a rather sniffy letter to the Global and World Cities Network in which they told them where they could stick their Gamma World Cities ranking decision and also pointed out the needless tautological nature of their name. Surely Global and World both mean the same thing. I know we only have two universities, they sarcastically wrote, but that doesn't mean we don't have the education to realise a tautologically named organisation when we see one. That would show them. But it would take more than a strongly 
worded, grammatically nitpicky letter to avenge the people of Leeds. The tribesmen of Sheffield donned their steel tall cap boots, and the tribesmen of Leeds responded by putting on their thickest woolly jumpers as the time for battle had come. On Saturday, after the football match, the real action kicked off. It started with a tribesman from Sheffield singing a self-composed song into a megaphone, all about the fact that Sheffield has the largest ratio of trees to people than any other European city. This has always been a sore point for the proud tribesmen of Leeds, who instantly became riled by this song. One of the men from the Leeds tribe punched the singing tree man in the face and wrestled the megaphone out of his grasp. He then began to sing his own self-composed song, all about how Leeds was the second largest legal city in the UK after London. <laughs> well, the proud tribesmen of Sheffield weren't having this. A group of them charged towards the megaphone bearer and began to kick him with their steel toe-cap boots. The Leeds tribesmen dropped the megaphone, but not before he shouted into it that he would sue his attackers, because being from Leeds, he knew hundreds of lawyers. By this point, the fight had well and truly started. Started. Ben and I were trying to get home, but stupid Ben was foolishly wearing a hat made from wool, which caused a group of Sheffield tribesmen to charge towards us, assuming us to be Leeds tribesmen. Neither me or Ben come from Sheffield or Leeds, but the hat had incurred the Sheffielders' wrath. A man ripped it from Ben's head and urinated in it while singing an anti-wool song which had been passed down to him by his granddad. We were now surrounded by Sheffield tribesmen and I knew that we were for it. But then I had an idea. I produced my cane out of my bag and frantically pointed to the steel tip on the end of it while shouting, Steel! 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 Fortunately, this seemed to convince them that I was not a Leeds tribesman and I was safe. But Ben had been the wearer of the hat and Ben did not have anything steel on him to appease the aggressions of these fervent Sheffielders. Fortunately, inspiration struck Ben and just in the nick of time. He was just about to be kicked in the face by a Sheffielder's steel toe-cap boot, but managed to assuage his assailants by singing the chorus to I Bet That You Look Good on the Dance Floor by Sheffield band The Arctic Monkeys. Instantly, the Sheffielders joined in, and Ben and I had no choice but to wave our hands in the air, chanting the lyrics loudly and out of tune, along with everyone else. Through cunning, we had managed to escape our violent fate at the hands of the notoriously ruthless and fervent Sheffield tribesmen. But we were not out of the woods yet, which is not a pun on the amount of trees that Sheffield boasts. This is a serious story. Our lives are in danger, and now is not the time for flippant wordplay. A group of Leeds tribesmen had heard our Arctic monkeys chant and were forming at the mouths, ready for a fight. It was clear to both of us that when the fight broke out, we would very much be a prime target. We were at the centre of the Sheffielders, having been the two people who had started the song. And now to add further insult to injury, we were stood right next to the urine-soaked woolly hat, which was bound to draw attention to us and incur the Leeds tribesmen's wrath. To make matters even worse, 
I still had hold of my cane and had been waving it in the air, steel tip proudly and clearly on display, while we sang the Arctic Monkeys. How would we get out of this? As if struck by divine inspiration, Ben and I both simultaneously had the exact same thought for escape. As the Leeds tribesmen rounded upon us, we each took off a woolen sock and waved it in the air and began to belt out the chorus to Every Day I Love You Less and Less by Leeds band The Kaiser Chiefs. The two tribes were stunned into momentary confusion. Just whose side were we on? While the two tribes tried to process this information, we made a run for it. Well, actually a hop for it, because we'd both taken off a shoe in order to wave our socks in the air. Perhaps a more apt Kaiser Chiefs song would have been I Predict a Riot, for a mere two seconds later, a full-scale brawl broke out. But we had successfully fled for safety, and were now making our way home in order to write a parody of When I'm Cleaning Windows by George Formby. Well, I am not computer lit, but I thought I really best try it. So I bought myself some computer kit and I started using Windows. Well, I am just a regular guy and we all get urges by and by. So I thought I'd give some porn a try. Now that I've got Windows, I got myself on Google search to find me something mucky. In the search box, I typed boobies and clicked, I am feeling lucky. Well, the things I saw upon my screen of people doing things obscene, dirty than a latrine. Thank God that I got windows. Bare-breasted ladies, nice and tanned. Lesbians loving on the sand. I wish I could lend them a hand. But I'm just here home on windows. I still don't know computers and that just can't be denied. Which is how I've accidentally ordered myself a tie bride. I sit and watch pornography and you might say ironically what I do is not PC. When I'm using windows Mr. Wellhung, Mr. Dirty whore, cavorting wildly on the floor. Hang on, that's Bill and Sue next door. They've just started using windows. I met a girl on online chat, a lovely lass from Pontefract. She said that she'd do things like that, like the things she's seen on windows. I got a message from her saying that she was being webcammed. I'm not computer savvy, so I didn't understand. But I clicked on that link anyway, and what I saw I will not say, but I could watch that girl do that all day. Hooray, I'm using Windows. I've said I'm not computer lit, so I don't have a clue how I did it. But now I'm really in the shit, because when I log on to Windows, that girl's naked video is my desktop background, you know. And when my wife sees it, her top she'll blow when she logs on to Windows. I've tried pressing the delete key, but that video won't go, you see. I can't get it off, ironically. Bloody stupid Windows. I don't know what I've done now, Christ, I need an IT saviour cause somehow I've got two hairy naked blokes as my screensaver computers I don't have the knack I can't get my old desktop picture back bloody hell I think I better get a Mac and give up using Windows I haven't used my Mac for a couple of months, but I needed to turn it on in order to get some files of it. A few seconds after switching the computer on, I got a huge shock. The Mac made a deafening sound. 
It was so loud that it caused the people that I'm living with to wake up with a jolt. The sound was the generic Apple Mac startup sound that occurs a few seconds after turning on. I think it remembers where your volume was set to the last time you were using the computer and chimes accordingly. The last time I used the Mac was during a gig and the computer was connected to a mixing desk and set to the highest possible volume, hence its ferocity. There is no way that I have found to circumvent this sound. Even when you plug the headphones in, the sound still plays through the speakers. If you press the on button and then realise with horror that the laptop volume was set to high before you shut it down and is therefore about to seriously piss off your girlfriend, waking her and the entire household and all the neighbours down the street up, there is nothing that you can do to stop it. Frantically pressing volume down repeatedly is useless. The Mac plays the sound just as loud as it deems fit. There isn't enough time to run out of the room with the laptop, hoping to get far enough away from sleeping people. You have about two seconds till the hideous loud noise begins. The battery packs on the Macs are completely covered over, so you can't even yank the battery out. And don't go thinking that holding down the off key immediately after switching it on is going to help you either. All that will happen then is that the sound plays, your girlfriend wakes up, the Mac then powers down, your girlfriend slaps you, and you're back at square one. If you really do need to use the computer, then you have no choice but to switch it back on again and let the chimes of doom seal the deal on your breakup. I would imagine one of the first things you'd learn in spy school is not to use an Apple Mac computer. Okay, we've managed to smuggle ourselves under the cover of darkness into the enemy's headquarters. I know, I can't believe it. The place had cameras everywhere. Then there was that crazy alarm system with the 30,000 digit code, which you managed somehow to know and enter correctly, while all the while being chased by that giant killer robot. But then, when we were caught by those armed security guards, I really thought our game was up. But then you pulled it out the bag again, managed somehow to seduce every single one of those security guards, convinced them to partake in bondage, tied them up, and shot them all. Oh, that was out of this world. Oh, and the sex was pretty good too. And then, just as I thought we'd finally made it, we were presented by another control panel, and somehow, you managed to guess the 140,000 digit code. And now here we are. Now what do we do, boss? When you're in this game, son, you've got to think of everything. Codes, alarms, security guards, killer robots disguised as harmless-looking teapots. <laughs> I've seen it all before. Ah, I wondered why you went crazy earlier when you saw that old teapot. I thought it was a bit unusual when you opened fire on it, but uh, I didn't want to say anything at the time. <laughs> it didn't really seem appropriate, plus you, you had that weird look in your eyes again. Son, when you've been a spy as long as I have, you learn to trust nothing. Especially teapots. Although, on this occasion, it did turn out to be just a teapot. Antique, Chinese, one of the few surviving teapots from the, the Chinese Qing dynasty during the Quanlong period, circa 1736 to 1795. Ashamed to have riddled it with bullet holes, as it would have fetched quite a bit at auction. Or I could have just taken it home and given it to my wife. But never mind. Anyway, I can't sit here under the floorboards of an enemy's headquarters chatting about antique teapots all day. There's work to be done. All I need to do now is log on to their mainframe, which is a piece of cake. I can't believe they thought that I wouldn't see through that disguise. Hiding your mainframe computer inside a piece of cake. Why, that's one of the oldest tricks in the book. Once I've hacked into their mainframe, then I'll shut them down forever. The bastards. And then we'll have a slice of cake to celebrate. <laughs> a shame I got rid of the teapot. It would have been nice to have had some tea with it, too. Victory is in sight, my friend. Thirty years of my life I've worked on this. Thirty years of my life I've waited for this moment. Thirty years. And now, finally, 
Finally. Turn on the computer, son, and let's end this now. Okay, boss. Here goes. Hang on. What? Is that a Mac? You brought a Mac? You idiot. Don't, don't, don't turn it. Shit. 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 Oh, I hate you, Steve Jobs. One of the things I really enjoyed doing, David's Daily Digital Dollop, was when I started writing a dollop with no idea what I was going to talk about. And you could just take a small idea, like, oh, talk about my Mac making a really loud sound when you turn it on. You know, just a small idea. And then the idea develops. You start imagining a spy drama. Now, a lot of the dollops at the start were written, but then, as time went on, I began to do more audio dollops, and I began to enjoy going out for a walk and just talking into my mobile phone and just ideas just happening through that. And I think what I really enjoyed by doing that was I would maybe have an idea for something to talk about, but then something would happen on our our journey. So, for instance, we met a homophobic farmer, or we met a man who wanted to show me his water feature and talked at length about his water feature that he'd installed in his garden and you know you're in the middle of doing a dollop and then something else happens because you're doing it on the walk so the environment changes how things work and suddenly I'm not talking about the idea that I planned on talking about we're on a complete tangent this was one of the walking dollops that I thought we've definitely got to put in I was watching a program with Ben it was on the Discovery Channel program the program done by someone called Ed Stafford on the Discovery Channel he's an adventurer he went to the Amazon jungle and was trekking through by himself I mean that's a weird thing nowadays you can just use like GoPro cameras you know you can just use these cameras and one man doesn't need any crew or anything like that can just film it got me thinking it'd be quite funny to do a a parody of it in a way because he was everything's very dramatic and of course it's very dramatic in fairness he is trekking through the jungle he's he had to carry a massive water pack on him you know it was like half of his body weight he was carrying which of course slowed him down immeasurably and he was getting obsessed about water and he was just going i don't know i'm gonna find water and my water's running out and he was going on about this all the time about his water there was a brilliant bit where he more or less ran out of water he'd completely run out and he was going for hours without water and he was worried about heat stroke he was going on about if he didn't find water soon he was potentially going to die and he always has these weird things though it's quite a strange thing because if he is genuinely fearing for his life and I'm not saying he isn't but if he's genuinely fearing for his life I'd be like terrified in a situation like that he still manages to sort of keep it together enough even though he's going I could die any minute now <laughs> he still manages to come out with these little like one-liners and you wonder if he thinks of them in advance like he goes oh best have me one-liners prepared for he'll come out with something like there are some days for dying today is not the day for dying. And just like that, just like little things that they can, like, put on the show. You know, like when they do the, the recaps previously, that kind of thing. And he was saying that while he was literally, according to him, dying. He was like, I could die any minute now. And I just think it's brilliant that he thinks he might die, but he still has the ability to kind of come out with these little one-liners. And I wonder if he's doing it, you go, oh, well, maybe that's what keeps him going. I'll be ashamed to die, you know, because that's a really good line. No one will ever get to see that footage if I die here. The thought of no one getting to hear that one liner there that little sound bite it's just unbearable i've got to keep going he comes out with little things like that and they are completely like melodramatic sounding but at the same time he's probably not wrong i mean if he dehydrates he could have heat stroke he can't really get a helicopter there there's seemingly no film crew around i mean chances are he's completely right in saying that he could die but i just like the fact that he still manages to like ham it up for the tv even though he really should be conserving his energy not talking he's not got no water he needs to just conserve all his energy he's saying no no i've still got to do my sound bites that sound bite could have cost him his life today is not the day for dying there are some days for dying today is not oh shit i shouldn't have started this one i'm gonna die now yeah there was this brilliant bit where 
he was desperate for water and he hadn't got any water. He just kept going on about not having any water. And then he found this, this tiny little, well, it's not even a lake, it was just, he found some water underfoot. He started digging. He was digging and digging and he found this water and he was going absolutely hysterical, laughing his head off. Oh, I found the water, the water! He was unbelievably ecstatic. So he gets his water and he's digging for it and he's digging for it and he's absolutely over the moon about the water. So he takes a drink and it's kind of like this, it's quite muddy water. He's laughing his head off, going on about how brilliant this water is. You know, and like to see it, it's just like muddy brown water, but he's going on about how brilliant this life-giving water has brought me back from the brink. He goes, and I've got a drink up. I'm going to fill all my bottles up because you never know when you'll next get a chance to get some water. If that's one thing that being an adventurer has taught me, do not squander the opportunity to get water because you never know when the opportunity might come again. So he fills all his bottles up and then he walks about what must have been about 15 minutes and he comes up to this pure lake of fresh water, pure lake of fresh water. <laughs> and he goes, oh, <laughs> there's water there. So he finds this lake of water and he's like, oh, Right, I found some water, and he, this shit sends him over the edge. He gets, he's absolutely, he doesn't know what to do. He hasn't seen water for days, and he's like desperate. He's got, oh, best fill me bottles up. You never know when water might come. It's going to be an exhausting journey, carrying all this water around. But you've got to carry it, because you never know when the next opportunity is going to come. And then 15 minutes later, he's like, oh, there's some water here. So he's like this massive expanse of water, and he just pours. He goes, oh, right, well, I don't need that water anymore. He just pours it away. So he just pours this water away that he's just spent hours, like, digging for, desperately digging for water, going, oh, brilliant. Pours it away, and then he just puts his bottles into the fresh lake and has a proper drink. <laughs> and he was laughing pretty hysterically before when he discovered the first bit of water, the muddy brown water, but now he was in absolute heaven. And he was just cackling away, drinking water. And it was just one of those weird things where watching a man filling up bottles of water and just cackling. By the way, it's raining. You might be able to hear the rain spitting. There you go. Adds an extra level of trepidation. The rain is spitting. My hair is getting slightly damp. There's a chance that I might get a mild cold. It was also quite weird watching this programme. Me and Ben were eating tiramisu while we were watching a man at one point dehydrated and telling us that he might die any minute. Quite an odd dichotomy. We're sitting on our sofa eating tiramisu and this man's dying in front of us and then cackling demonically because he's got some brown muddy water. Yes, my chances of getting a cold are dramatically increasing as the rain heightens. Oh. <laughs> oh, I've just walked into a bush and it soaked me. Oh, that's a bit that'll play on the um, previously section. I'll keep running that on the montage section. My goodness, just been hit in the face with a soaking bush. <laughs> that's the sound bite. <laughs> only been walking for 15 minutes but already my phone is getting wet my microphones are getting wet my hair is getting wet bringing on the chance of a mild cold now i've just been hit in the face by a soaking bush the sound of a dog stay still stay still don't attract attention okay okay can you hear that that's the sound of a dog there is nothing between me, a wall, and a locked door separating me and that dog. 
if this dog it sounds pretty wild if this dog should manage somehow to open the door maybe unpicking the lock with its teeth or its paws bound over the wall then that could be it for me okay it's it's stopped barking I'm gonna oh no Hold me into a false sense of security. Someone is shouting quiet at the dog. Someone is shouting for the dog to shut up, but the dog... It's a lawless dog. It doesn't know discipline. It will. It's not heeding the owner's words, and if it doesn't heed its owner's words, what hope is there for me? A complete stranger to the dog. An unknown. He's probably already smelt me. Is that tiramisu I can smell? Thinks the dog. I shouldn't have had that tiramisu. I knew it was a mistake. What I will do to, to decoy the dog is I'm now going to breathe hard in the direction of the door, thus giving the dog a massive whiff of tiramisu. I will then run as fast as I can. The dog will think that I'm still there. It'll excite the dog. And by the time the tiramisu dissipates, I'll be no more to be seen or to be smelt. This is one of the tricks that you learn. I've just realised I'm still breathing. I should have stopped breathing. Damn. Because ah, the tiramisu is now following me down the street. What I should have done is I should have breathed the tiramisu and then held my breath and stopped breathing. It's been a long time since I've been on an intrepid adventure like this. I forgot the rules. The old tiramisu escape rule. The old tiramisu escape plan. Oh. Well, I think I've cleared it. I think I've cleared it. The danger is cleared. Oh... Oh, God. Oh, when am I going to get some water? Okay, can you hear that sound? Okay, that is the sound of a drain. From the drain comes water. As an intrepid blogger, I'm now faced with a choice. Do I lie down here and stick my head in the drain and try and slurp up the dirty water from the drain? giving me much needed sustenance or do I turn back around and walk the 10 minute journey home and get some water from the tap yeah I think I'll head home it's getting quite late actually it's about 10 past 10 now yeah that's what I'll do I should really send that to the Discovery Channel and see if they'd be interested in doing a documentary because I think that was harrowing stuff there. This blog is off the rails. It's where David lets off some steam. The name will ring a bell. It's... Here's a joke revolving around a conversation between two fonts, as in computer fonts rather than church fonts. Sorry if you heard the word fonts there and got all excited at the prospect of a joke about baptism or holy water, only to have your hopes dashed when you realise that it's going to be a joke about computer fonts. No, not another bloody joke about computer fonts. This is a conversation between two fonts. Uh, excuse me, Ariel. Uh, um, 
if I may be so bold, I'm a bit nervous about this. H hang on, let me calm down. I, I need to centre myself. Uh, Ariel, I, I find you very attractive. Would you like to go on a date with me? Maybe hang out at the space bar? Oh, uh, well, I I'm, s I'm sorry. I, I mean, I think you're a great character. No, no it's, it's okay. You don't have to justify yourself, Ariel. It's, it's fine, I, I understand. No, no, but, but really, I think you're a great character. It's just, you're not really my type. Fair enough, but this has been playing on my mind and I really had to ask you. ASCII, A-S-C-I-I, is a type of computer code which is essentially the building blocks of font creation and character encoding. I mean, ideally, I wouldn't have had to explain that. It tempers the immediacy of your reaction and somewhat dilutes the hilarity of the joke if you have to explain it. But, you know, ideally, you'd have done your research beforehand. You'd have already had a good grasp of font knowledge. You'd be a knowledge of all fonts. You know, I mean, it's my fault. Maybe I should have given you some pre-joke reading material so you could swat up before I started telling you this joke and then you'd get the most from the joke. But never, never mind. I mean, there's been plenty of hilarity so far anyway, hasn't there? So, so you know, it's fine. Let's get, let's get back to the joke. It's just... I hoped that you might be my Miss Wright. Wright is spelled W-R-I-T-E. I mean, it would work R-I-G-H-T as well, as in right aligned. We've already had the centre joke, but I think W-R-I-T-E makes the point better. It works better on the written version, I think, that. As you can tell, a lot of thought has gone into this. Hilarious jokes like this take time and effort to master. I mean, this took me at least 20 minutes. What? You're Miss Wright? Really? I find that idea rather comic. As in, sans. Comic sans. Oh, Ariel! I'd do anything for you. I'd even take a bullet for you, Ariel. Life without you would be hell. Vetica. It's important, by the way, if you're retelling this joke, to leave the pause there. You can't just say, life without you would be hell, Vetica. It's important there, if you're retelling this joke to your friends, which I'm sure you will, because it's amazingly funny, then to heighten the comedy, you really need to go, life without you would be hell. You need to pause, Vetica. Even pause before the hell, if you want. Life without you would be hell, Vetica. So, you see, so it's important that you don't just rush ahead, because, you know, the secret of comedy is timing. I'm sure you'll agree here. Huh? You've got to take the right amount of time to tell the joke. Anyway, back to the joke, sorry. <clears throat> Please, Ariel, don't leave me high and dry. High is an East Asian Gothic typeface. It, it might be pronounced hey, I don't know. It's H-E-I, that's how it's spelt. But looks for the purposes of this, let's just pronounce it as high, shall we? I mean, I could, if it isn't, I could always say, hey, Ariel, couldn't I? So, you know, either way, if I find out that it's actually not pronounced high, then I've got the comedy skills to be able to improvise and sort of make something out, out of that in the future. So it's, it's the joke doesn't rest on that, really, so it's not a, not a problem. Oh, for goodness sake, look, I'm not interested. Full stop. How many times? As in, New Roman, obviously. <laughs> I've just checked Google, and it turns out that I was wrong when I said yesterday that Hartlepool was the teenage pregnancy capital of Britain. I believe that this used to be the case, but we seem to have now been beaten by Burnley. Damn, we are no longer the champions. I feel a sudden urge to do my bit to get us back to the top of the league once again. I am a proud Hartlepool lad, and I refuse to stand idly by while Burnley take the prize that is rightfully ours. And thus, I have no choice but to sleep with lots 
lots of teenage girls. They have to be legal age, obviously. I'm not a paedophile, just a pervert, albeit a pervert attempting to masquerade his perversion under a veneer of town-based patriotism. No, I'm joking. Obviously, I'll be doing this to put Hartlepool back to the top of the teenage pregnancy league where we truly belong. To massively bastardise the words of Chumbawamba, we got knocked down, but we'll be up again, and we'll get up again by getting lots of teenage girls knocked up because we ain't going to be kept down below Burnley. In fact, I think that this should be Hartlepool's anthem designed to galvanise men and teenage girls of legal age to have sex for the honour and the glory of their hometown. I will be seeing Neil from Chumbawamba on Wednesday and so I will ask him whether the band will be interested in recording this song for this noble cause. I can't see why they'd possibly say no. Sadly, I have to leave Hartlepool in a couple of hours and I doubt that that's really enough time to make any notable progress. I would need to find a teenage girl, check that she was of legal age and then have sex with her. I doubt that two hours would yield any more than just one teenage girl and even that single bit of sex doesn't necessarily mean that a pregnancy will occur. We'd still have to rely on the sperm meeting and making contact with the egg and then fertilising it, which even for someone as virile as me is still not a certainty. It would be a shame if I ended up having sex with an 18 year old girl only to find that it had been a complete waste of my time. Naturally I'd be pretty pissed off about that as I've got much better things to be doing with my life than wasting it having sex with 18 year old girls. I'll be back in Hartlepool in May though, so I'll make a concerted effort then. In the meantime, if there are any Hartlepool-based teenage girls listening or reading this who fancy joining me and doing their bit for their hometown, please do get in touch with me. Again, I want to stress that I am only interested in girls of legal age, and I'd prefer it if you were closer to 18 to avoid me getting into any possible trouble over potential grey areas. Although, if you are 16 and you do have grey areas, areas then you've probably got other things on your mind and you want to get medical attention for that I think. Just because I'm not able to do my bit for the cause until May it doesn't mean that the men and teenage girls of legal age can't start without me. What are you waiting for? Lie back and think of Hartlepool. Our next subject is animals. Yes ladies and gentlemen we are now translating David's Daily Digital Dollop into dog. So if you have any dogs listening, a few people have complained saying, look, I listen to David's Jelly Digital Dollop on a regular basis, but it's a shame that I can't enjoy it with my dog. I had a little bit of a think about it. I've had a word with one of those animal communicators that you can get, who reckon they can talk to animals, and also talk to dead animals as well. So they can say things like, oh yes, young Fido there, he's chewing a bone there up in heaven. You go, oh my God, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's really offered me comfort, that... Because uh, I wasn't sure if they'd have bones in, in open heaven. But, I mean, it's so good that they do. I'm a convert. I mean, a part of me was wondering whether there's a con or not. Because the thing is, you see, young Fido, he did like his bones. He was a, he was a fan of the bones. And uh, there's no way you could have known that. You've offered me conclusive proof there. Thank you very much. Yeah, and he's, he's saying something to me. Hang on a second, something's coming through. He's saying something to me. He's saying something. Oh, go on, go on. What is this? It's, uh, let me just listen. Woof, woof. That's what he's saying. Oh, my goodness, that is uncanny, because he did that, actually. He did say woof, woof quite a lot. Hang on, what's he doing now? What's he doing? Go on, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's, he's, he's chasing a cat. Really? 
Oh, you'd like the cats. He was a one for the cats. Young Fido. Oh, sounds exactly like him. Oh, this is brilliant. You've offered me comfort. Will I see him? Oh, you'll see him. You'll see him when you die. Oh, brilliant. He said he's, he's waiting for you. He's preparing a place. No, no, I don't think that can be Fido. He was allergic to place. What? No, Fido was allergic to fish. You've lost me now. You've lost me. Your credibility's starting to fade. I'd quite like to go to an animal communicator. The only pet that I've ever had is a goldfish. What's old Freddy saying? You know what he, well, he's not very happy, to be honest. He's saying, what the hell were you thinking of doing? You didn't give me a very good send-off, did you? Just flushing me down the toilet like that. Very unceremonious. In the real world, they only apparently have a memory of seven seconds. I mean, I don't know what it's like when they're dead. I don't know if all the memories suddenly come back. I mean, that would be a massive shock for them, wouldn't it? Yeah, to be honest, it's not very exciting getting in contact with goldfish from beyond the grave, from beyond the toilet. <laughs> I mean, I can get in touch with them, but they don't really come out with anything. They can't remember anything that happened. They can only remember things that happened seven seconds before they were about to die. I can tell you what was going through the mind if you want. Go on then, go on then. Swim, swim, swim. Swim, swim. Oh, I'm feeling a bit funny. That's it. That's literally all they've got. Farmyard animals. So let's look at the farmyard animals. So we've got cow, moo. Absolutely fine. I'll go for that. It's not really an oo sound. I would argue it's more of a murr. Sort of sound than a moo. But I get where you're going with a moo. That's absolutely fine. Personally, I'd have gone for a murr than a moo. A murr over moo there. Sheep, bar. Again, I think that's pretty obvious. Horse, nay. Yeah, good. Or nay, if it's from the south. Dog, woof. I think woof is a bit of an odd one. Why does that f bit come into it? Why W double O F? Why the F? I don't really get the F bit. I can understand the first bit, woof. W O O. Although I would argue that if you look at it, that looks like woo. W-O-O, I think it'd be more like W-U-H is a better sound to describe what a dog would do. Woo! Woo! W-U-H, I think. But I can understand woof. I don't get the F sound because I've never heard a dog make a F sound. So, don't know where that came from. But I think the weirdest one is the sound of a pig. Oink! Who decided on oink? I don't know how the noises of animals were decided. How you phonetically try to assimilate the sound of various animals. I don't know how that was decided. I don't know if there was a special think tank that was set up. Right, what are we doing now? What's, what's on today's agenda? Okay, thank you very much for turning up, distinguished professors and academic creme de la creme. We have assembled you all here today for the important task of coming up with the sounds that animals make. Okay, let's begin. Um, cow. What noise do we think a cow makes? I was thinking moo. Moo. That does sound good, actually. I like it. I like what you're doing there. How do you, how do you want to spell that? To tools? I think to, I think so. Excellent. Good, good start. Hey, if we keep working this quickly, we'll be in the pub by lunchtime. Absolutely brilliant. Right. Okay, sheep. Okay, so we're doing well. We've uh, so far we've decided that uh, cows are going to be phonetically said as moo. We've gone for horses as nay. Sheep, bar, dog, woof. That was a controversial one. And I would appreciate it if we didn't resort to name-calling and fist-fighting. But when do you ever hear a dog make an F sound? Right, look, we've had this discussion. We're moving on. Well, we're doing really well here. We'll be going to the pub in no time. Just one more to think of. Shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, pig. Well, thinking oink. You what? Oink? Yeah, I thought oink, you know. What, I don't, what do you mean, oink? I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not allowing that. Oink, we can't have oink. No, look, we let you have dog, mate. We let you have dog. We let you have that with its ridiculous sound. We let you have that. Oink, clearly, is the sound that a pig makes. Look, the quicker we get this done, the quicker we get to the pub. All right, fair enough. Dog and duck? Oh, don't get me started on dog again. I've told you, dog is woof. And I've said duck is quack. That's my final offer. No, I'm, I'm saying which pub. Are we going to dog and duck? 
Yes, let's go to the dog and duck. So we're sticking with oink? Yes, we're sticking with oink. Come on, let's just get to the pub. Oink. I'm not sure what sound I think a pig should make, and I, and I think actually, I think that a pig is a very difficult sound to phonetically emulate. Because the sound is a <laughs> kind of sound, it's difficult to spell because it requires, I think, vowels and consonants that don't really exist. Because it's more of an inhalation sound when you make the noise of a pig. When you do the noise of a pig, you inhale. <laughs> like that. You can't really do exhaling. <laughs> Not really. But I would go for maybe G-H, that kind of sound. Maybe with an... I would go for something like G-H-O-R-G-H or G-H-U-R-G-H. I was speaking to a Czech Republic girl. I'm not sure how we got onto the subject, but uh, she told me that in the Czech Republic, the noise that a pig makes is rocker rocker. Apparently a pig goes rocker rocker. Which I kind of understand a bit. I think it's better than oink. I'll give them that. But again, I don't think rah, rah. It really is the noise that a pig makes. I mean, I said the Czech Republic. I assume it was the same for Czechoslovakia. Well, there's a big debate going on right now. Well, they reckon that a pig goes rocker, 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 rocker. I'm sorry, we're not having that. I mean, that would be absolutely ridiculous. Sounds nothing like a pig. No, 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 no. No, I'm sorry, this is grounds for a divorce. If the Czech... They're rocker, indeed. They're off the rocker, I'll tell you that much. No, no, we can't have this. If they're going to be insistent, then drastic action must be taken. We're going our separate ways. Like, different animals make different sounds in different countries. But why in Greek, for instance, why do they phonetically say the sound that a cockerel makes as ki 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 Well, they have that, whereas we say cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo and ki 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 sound nothing alike. So somehow we're hearing cock-a-doodle-doo which is a bit ridiculous. I think it's the same person who came up with oink. He's done oink for pig. Cock-a-doodle-doo. No, I'm sorry. Three strikes and you're out. Kangaroo. Boing. Right, sorry, mate. That's your final warning. Go on. I don't care what you say. I'm sticking true to my principles. Oh, whatever, mate. Go on. Get out. <laughs> what was that sound you just made? Hey, what's that noise all about? It's an oink of derision, my friend. That's what that was. An oink of derision. An oink of derision. Go on. Let's have a look at what your predecessor came up with. Cow. Moo. Sheep. Bar. Dog, woof. Bit odd, but we'll give him it. We'll give him that one. I think he was having a bit of an off day. But, you know, it's fair enough. Horse, nay. Brilliant stuff. But then he left. He got a promotion. He went on to the noises that vehicles make. But you come in. I have no idea how you got the job. You come in with your oinks and your cock-a-doodle-doos and your boings and your... What's this? Turkey. Gobble. Gobble. And the other man, who we used to have, absolutely brilliant. He'd spend hours listening to recordings, trying to get the best sound. Now I think about it, that was the problem with the dog. I think we used a different tape recorder and there was a bit of tape hiss. I think that's where it got the bit from, actually. And that last clip, incidentally, is my girlfriend's favourite dollop moment. So I had to put that one in, really. I mean... David's Daily Digital We all deal with anger in different ways. Some people are passive-aggressive. Other people, you know, take deep breaths, count ten. Other people just start shouting. And most of the time, I react in ordinary ways that most people would do if they were angry. But now and again, very rarely, I involuntarily... I have no choice in this. I involuntarily start to vent my aggression through the medium of popular song parody. Now, this may not seem too serious. 
until you consider the consequences. I have no control over this. This isn't something that's funny. This is a, a genuine affliction that I can't turn off, that is involuntarily ingrained within me. It's kind of like Tourette's in a way, a form of musical Tourette's, pop parody Tourette's. Last night, we were in an Indian restaurant, and the waiter came over and brought our order to us. And the, everything in the order that I'd ordered was completely wrong. Completely messed the order up. Not a problem. Normally, this wouldn't get to me. Normally, you know, it's just fine. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it, and he'll take it back, or whatever, and we'll sort it out. Or I'll, I'll just have it, because, you know, I like most foods, it's absolutely fine. But for some reason, last night, I was feeling a bit tired, and, and this kind of got to me. I got a bit stressed about the whole situation. And I thought, this is unlike me, because I don't get like that. And I thought, oh no, I know what's about to happen here. I knew that the affliction was about to strike. And when it does, there's nothing that I can do about it. I am completely at the mercy, in the power of this odd malady. So let me talk you through the process of what happened last night. Firstly, I get very irritable. I know that I'm more irritable than usual. That's the first step. The second step, I suddenly start to hear the sound of music in my head. It sort of fades in, and as soon as I hear the music, I'm thinking, oh no, I know what's about to happen. The next thing that happens, I involuntarily begin to rise to my feet. I just can't help myself. I rise to my feet. And that's what happened last night. Last night, the man completely messed my order up. I got more angry about it than I ordinarily would. And I couldn't control my rage. I heard the music start reverberating around my head. I recognized the, the song. It was the Ting Tings. I don't know if you remember the band, the Ting Tings. And this was from a, a song from 2008. That's not my name. I mean, it's not, and that's a weird other thing as well. There's no knowing what song is going to come out. There's no rhyme or reason that I can see for what song suddenly appears. But that was the song. Ting Tings, that's not my name. I heard the song, I was on my feet, and my mouth opened. My, my friends tried to stop me, because they knew what was going to happen. Sean tried to pull me back down, but he knows there's no point. Because all I will do is I'll get angry, I'll get violent, if needs be, because no one is going to stand in my way of getting this parody out. I must deliver it. So I pushed Sean back into his seat, and my other friends knew there was no point. The Ting Tings played out in my head, and I faced the waiter, who looked completely vexed, had no idea what was going on. And I opened my mouth, and I began to wildly sing. I said samosa, not onion bargee. I asked for garlic. This is Peshwari. That's not my naan. That's not my naan. That's not my naan. That's not my naan. I asked for tikka. You brought me Boona. You call this chicken? It's fucking Jonah! That's not my naan. That's not my naan. That's not my naan. That's not my naan! And then the music faded out. And I, and I was just stood there. The sounds of my own voice reverberating through the restaurant. Diners looking on, startled by what they were witnessing. And as the music faded out, what happens next with this affliction is I suddenly become aware of my surroundings again and I'm back to normal. I'm back in the room. And then, of course, it's me who's got to try and apologise and explain to everybody in the restaurant what's going on here. I did my very best to do so. I explained, as I have tried to explain to you, that this is an involuntary thing. In fairness to everybody in the restaurant, they were very understanding about it. And I apologised to the waiter, and he said, that that's absolutely fine. And I sat back down, and my friends breathed a sigh of relief. And the sort of normality restored itself. You know, it was a bit embarrassing at first, but, you know, the people's voices in the restaurant started to rise again in volume and conversation. Conversations began to restart, and I just thought, brilliant. I apologised to the waiter. I said, I'm sorry. I'm just feeling a bit tired and stressed at the moment. And to be honest, I've got a lot on my plate, and none of it is what I ordered. 
He says, I know, I know, I'm sorry about that. He says, I'll sort your order out, I do apologise. And while you're waiting, while I'm sorting your order out, while you're waiting, I'm going to give you complimentary poppadoms for the entire table. And I was just about to say, oh, that's brilliant. But rather than saying, that's brilliant, I heard the sound of music playing in my head once again. I thought, oh my God, there's nothing I could do about it. I heard the music and I rose to my feet again. And my friend's like, oh no, it's not again. Other people in the restaurant started turning around. There's a few people thinking, oh, we'll just try and ignore it. But they couldn't. It was too much of a spectacle. I rose to my feet, the waiter was thinking, oh God, what's going to happen now? And in my head, the sounds of Madonna began to reverberate. The waiter had promised complimentary poppadoms for the whole table. I rose to my feet, the sounds of Madonna reverberating through my head. I faced the waiter and began to sing. We'll have a complimentary poppadom each. That's no trouble, mate, a poppadom each. There's no need to lose any sleep. And I've made up my mind. I'm keeping my bargee. Yeah, don't worry about the samosa, mate. I'm going to keep my bargee. Oh. And then, of course, as quickly as it had come, the sounds of Madonna left me and I heard my own voice reverberating around the room. Fortunately, this hadn't been anywhere near as dramatic as the previous time. And the waiter didn't seem too harassed by this. He said, that's absolutely fine, don't worry about it. He says, actually, not only am I going to get you complimentary poppadoms, but I'm also going to get you some complimentary rice, rice, baby. I said, what did you say? He said, rice, rice, baby. I said, I know what you said. I'm saying, what? What the hell do you think you're doing? He says, well, I just, you know, I'm just sort of trying to make light of it, the, the, the situation. You know, it's been a bit awkward. It's been a bit embarrassing. Just trying to, you know, make light of it, join in. Show that there's, you know, nothing to feel self-conscious about, you know. I said, nothing to feel self-conscious about. I've just stood up in a massively busy restaurant and just started singing, shouting at the top of my voice about naan bread. I was absolutely seething. You honestly, seriously think that's going to help? You don't do that with other disabilities. I mean, I'm Lines, but people don't start walking into walls and tripping over things just to make me feel more at home. Absolutely ridiculous. I was getting really angry at this point. And it didn't help as well because a few other people started doing little jokes. Take a chance on me. What? It doesn't even work. Somebody else started singing Vindaloo. Vindaloo, Vindaloo. I said, you can't just do that. That's not a parody. That's just you singing a song that already exists word for word. He says, actually, I wasn't doing it word for word, David. I said, you were. He said, well, I wasn't. Because he said the words are Vindaloo, na na. But I was singing Vindaloo, na na. So I changed it. I'd, well, regardless, you're really not seeing my point here. This is a serious thing for me. It's an affliction that's haunted me for my entire life. It happens very rarely. But when it does happen, it leaves me feeling very embarrassed. It's, this has broken up relationships in the past. You know, I, and the idea of you just joining in, if anything, it just rubs salt into the wound. Because you're able to control it. You can do it whenever you want. I'm not doing this for a laugh. This is not amusing. This is not meant to be funny. Rice, rice, baby, indeed. Cash Cow Marketing Strategies presents... Candace Payne laughs the classics. Candace Payne, the laughing woman from the hilarious Chewbacca mask video, is back. Or should that be Bark? As in the classical composer Bark. Because we are proud to present a unique compilation of classical music from some of the world's greatest classical composers. Only with the addition of Candace Payne laughing over the top. Hours and hours of classical music, including... Beethoven. <laughs> Mozart. <laughs> Greek. <laughs> 
and many more, including Ha Ha Handel's Ha Ha Hallelujah Chorus. Oh, it's brilliant. I've got all of the Candace Payne laughing compilation albums. I've got Candace Payne laughs death metal, Candace Payne laughs progressive rock, Candace Payne laughs the entire series of Now That's What I Call Music. And the thing is, I never really liked music before. I used to always find it really irritating. But now that it's got the woman from the Chewbacca mask video laughing all over it, I think it's great. This unique collection of classical music includes Candice Payne laughing over the entirety of Wagner's Ring Cycle. Yes, it's the perfect gift for fans of Nazi composers and laughing women from viral videos. This is the best birthday present ever. Celebrity endorsements. Dappy from Endob says, Oh my God, in it, this is Wicked Man. David Cameron says, I'm even more of a fan of this than I am Aston Villa. Candace Payne laughs the classics. Buy it now. This is worth every penny. <laughs> Seriously, Harley Pool. First the monkey, then the canoeist. Now this. Yesterday I read an article in the Hartlepool Mail saying that Hartlepool Library was running an all-day event celebrating great works of fiction. It's a shame that they didn't put the event on a couple of days earlier. They could have had a family fun day centred around the promises and statements of Farage, Johnson and the Leave campaign. It might have done some good and helped inform the voters. Instead, they chose to have their fiction day yesterday and according to the Hartlepool Mail, it seems as if they've opted for a harrowing tale of a dystopian island where everyone's divided, the economy is collapsing and fashion are rejoicing. No, sorry, this isn't the Hartlepool Library Fiction Day I'm reading now. It's just the actual news. 70% of people from Hartlepool... Hartlepool? Exactly. You see what I've done there? Inadvertent satire. My subconscious brain is doing comedy. Hartlepool. Yeah, take that, Hartlepool. Hartlepool. Yeah. Yeah. 70% of people from Hartlepool voted to leave the EU. I'd like to think that the majority of these voters made a properly thought-out and well-informed choice, and their decision to go against all the experts, 90% of the economists, and the vast majority of politicians was an educated one. But if the vox pops from the town or anything to go by, I'm very doubtful that this is the case. We need to get the foreigners out so we can spend the money on the NHS. How will these people feel when they realise that the foreigners aren't actually going anywhere? And the NHS isn't going to get any more money ploughed into it. Farage and Ian Duncan Smith have already suggested that the whole 350 million into the NHS thing wasn't actually true. Plus, Farage has previously stated that the NHS might have to be privatised. So it seems as if these promises were untrue. Okay, maybe untrue is a harsh word. How about white lie? Yeah, that's nicer, isn't it? A nice, white, Caucasian, British lie. Ah, it doesn't sound so bad now, does it? It was a British, white, Caucasian lie. For real, ordinary and decent people. The Leave campaign have been telling us not to listen to advice and not to heed the doom-mongers when making our decision. And now our decision has been made, you might be a little bit worried about the falling value of the pound and about our trade, but... There is something that people are overlooking. And even Boris, presumably in the chaos of everything, seems to have forgotten this as well and is yet to placate the British public by reminding us of this all-important fact. We have cake. Boris, in his campaigning, has explained to us on more than one occasion that we still will be a valuable exporter to other countries, even if we leave, because we have something that the rest of Europe wants and the rest of Europe needs. We may have lost our iron and steel trade and people complain that we don't make anything anymore. But that is ridiculous. Because we do make things. We make cake. And we export growing quantities of stuff of all kinds. To Europe we export, I'm proud to say, we export cake. 
in growing quantities of particularly dense and glutinous kind of chocolate cake. That's what Boris has been saying, coming across particularly dense himself. And we export growing quantities of stuff of all kinds. To Europe we export, I'm proud to say, we export cake in growing quantities of particularly dense and glutinous kind of chocolate cake. We export from Walthamstow to France. And then... Just in case there were still any undecided people who weren't completely reassured by this statement from Boris, he added, They love our cake in France. And our fears were allayed. They don't just like our cake, they love it. If the French were merely partial to our cake, then it might be a tad risky to leave the EU. But Boris clearly said that the French love our cake. Listen, he did, listen. They love our cake in France. Yeah, and so we can rest assured that they won't be enforcing any trade tariffs on us, lest the French people should revolt. Monsieur Président! The people are revolting. Let them eat cake. That's kind of the problem. They are demanding we import the British cake. What's wrong with our French cake? Well, it's not quite dense and glutinous enough, Monsieur President. We've got our most esteemed scientists and chefs on the job to try and recreate the amazing British cake formula. But they're having no luck at all. It's either too dense or not glutinous enough or not glutinous enough and too dense or too glutinous and not dense enough or too dense and too glutinous or neither dense or glutinous enough. But we just cannot understand how the British have managed to achieve this ineffably perfect dense and glutinous... <laughs> combination. Well, I suppose we don't have a choice. Lift your trade sanctions. Damn the British and their culinary genius. My goodness, we've run out of time. There were so many things I wanted to put in that I didn't get a chance. And the other thing that I didn't put in because of time reasons was the reel-to-reel deal. But I will put that on my homepage. And it's all about what happened when we discovered an old reel-to-reel tape and the contents of that tape and the journey that it led us on can be followed in a 12-part series called The Real to Real Deal. Well, we've come to that moment. It's just time to say goodbye and to say thank you. I'm going to forget people. If I start doing a roll call, I haven't written names down, I'm going to forget people. But thank you to everybody who got involved and uh, commented on the book and commented on the dollops and ran with the various themes and developed them and took them on and shaped the way that the dollops went. Hundreds of you, on a daily basis, kept coming back. And I know some of you have been there since the very beginning and have heard every single dollop. Thanks for getting involved. Thanks for listening. There's nothing much more for me to say. Uh, I would get a bit more emotional and prolong the goodbye, but I need a poo, so I'm sort of a bit distracted. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. This has been David's Daily Digital Dollop. From me, David Eagle. Goodbye. <laughs>